Good morning, my name is Justice Almeida, and we will read two passages this morning. First, Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14, and then Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, as we follow up on Jesus' teaching about Sabbath rest. First, Matthew 12, 1 through 14, which can be found on page 816 in your pew Bible. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and the man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And now we'll read from Colossians 2, verses 13 through 17, which is on page 984. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Hey, may I have my good morning? If you haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad to be with you guys. And we've kind of done a lot already. So let me um, just ask you to take a deep breath where you are. Let me pray for us, and then we'll step towards this passage. And I, I promise not to preach a sermon on Sabbath that feels taxing or uh, exhausting to you. So would you just take a deep breath, though, for a second where you are? Okay. 
Jesus, we have uh, prayed some pretty heavy things. We've sang some pretty significant words. We've heard already from your scripture. So I ask now that you would move in our hearts in such a way that ties things together around you. Would you feel like the centerpiece of this? Would everything find not just its origin, but its trajectory back towards you? For, for our sadness, for the places of longing, for the places of rejoicing and gratitude, would you be at the center of that? And would you help us as a people trust you? I think this idea of Sabbath has so much to do with trust. And we are bent away from you in ways that we sometimes only trust ourselves, which gets us in some deep, deep trouble. So help us trust you, I pray. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts to soften us, awaken us, rest us, and help us to believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you were new with us or last week was your first time, welcome back or welcome. We normally walk through just verses through books of the Bible, and we've actually been in Matthew for quite a while. We started December of 2020, and we're just now to chapter 12. Sometimes we take some little excursions and just slow down for a little bit, and so when it's talking about prayer, maybe we'll do a couple weeks on prayer. And This is one of those moments where we came to a spot that it felt important to our pastors for us to slow down as we think about what the heck is going on with Sabbath, what is Jesus trying to teach us, and what would it mean for us as a community to be a Sabbath-keeping people that wasn't after righteousness or law or strict regulations. Even the reason why we had that passage read from Colossians 2 is to say this whole idea of Sabbath is pointing us to Jesus. All the regulations are not places where we find righteousness or hope. They're actually pointers to the rest that we have in Christ. So if that's true, it feels to me like all the more reason we should celebrate and observe Sabbath. If Sabbath is a pointer to Jesus, if the idea of resting and holidays and festivities and not doing certain things and doing certain things and set aside days and hours, if that whole thing Colossians says is pointing us towards Christ, rather than just discard it as something that's passed away, we should dig in and go, how do I orient my life around things that would point my heart towards Jesus? So the longer I walk with you, the older I get, the more I hear stories the more convinced I am that we have this insatiable kind of rush about our lives that is leaving us really depleted and fatigued. Most of you feel like you're on kind of the frazzled edge of your energy and your capacities and your resources. Coming out of COVID, maybe we're coming out of COVID, who knows, maybe we're going back into COVID, I'm not sure how you dice that up, but some of us are trying to make up ground economically or at our works where we, we lost some things and so you're working harder Some of you never stopped working. Your jobs are essential jobs, and so you just have been exhausted for two years. We we come into this special season, I think, with a lot of pressure, a feeling, kind of what do we do with this idea of rest? And even like time off or shutdowns or things where we couldn't do stuff, it didn't actually provide maybe a soulful rest for us. Maybe we indulged or we chased things or we escaped, and that left us even more depleted. So, So there's this need to understand what Jesus is talking about when it comes to rest. So as one of your pastors, I know there's a million things we need to talk about. There's lots of things about your relationships and about your fears and your anxieties. But I'm more and more convinced that if we don't learn to slow down, even as we talk about those things, we're going to have a hard time hearing them. 
So it can preach some burner sermons with really practical advice for your marriage and your parenting and your singleness and your jobs and your sex life and your money. But if our hearts are a frenzy, I don't think you hear it. I think even while we're in the room sometimes, even now, there's a a chatter. Just check for just a moment. Like, have you caught anything I just said? Or is your mind already an hour from now? Are you on your to-do list for Monday? Are you thinking about what you could be doing if we hadn't been wasting so much time already right now? Like, we're just this grind is always there. So so I have this desire to slow us down as a people. And this is like a decade-long project or decades-long projects. This is something that I, I long for more than I practice consistently. It's something that I have a deep, deep desire for more than I even really understand how to apply in, in my little life, let alone in the life of our church. But it's something that I think Jesus wants us to lean into. So, so I wanted to slow down for that reason. And then truth be told, when we hit this passage a couple of weeks ago, um, I feel like I tried to load so much into one sermon on rest It was crazy counterproductive. So I was rushing through how to apply rest to your life and kind of laughed at myself Sunday afternoon and went, man, that's the worst way to teach about rest. And so I kind of wanted a little bit of a do-over, a little bit of like slow down. I looked at my notes and I realized I had about five sermons in one set of notes. I tried to preach two of those sermons last time. And so today I promised just to preach like half of a sermon. But this is a little bit of a follow-up from what happened a couple of weeks ago when we were talking through like, what is Sabbath? How does it work? What is the rest? But I want you to hear like, what God wants to say to you is about stirring your affections. It's about, it's about worship. It's about you being reoriented in beautiful ways. It's about you finding some sort of peace and deep breath in the fact that you simply are a creature and he is the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator, which takes pressure off of you. It reorients you in, and I think, ways that will be actually freeing. So just as by way of review, and for those who weren't here last time, we're in this section where Jesus is walking through what it means to be one of his followers. And end of chapter 11, he has these beautiful um, invitation, these beautiful verses to us to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I'm trying to describe kind of in this season that we're in. I think it's the way humans have lived for millennium. I don't think it's just a COVID thing, but our hearts often are heavy. Our hearts are often burdened, and Jesus says, hey, come, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation not to put more burdens on you, but to take them off. So we just said, hey, Sabbath is not about things you do to make God pleased with you. It's about reflecting on what God has already done to rescue and save you. That's how some of the burdens get lifted. And then Jesus tells this, um, or we see the story of Jesus. He instructs us. He gives us some parables. We see some interaction around this idea of Sabbath, so it's not a mistake. He talks about resting and lifting burdens, and then we go into a scene where there's some controversy around Sabbath, which says to us a couple of things that we actually struggle to understand how to receive God's rest. These religious leaders in this passage who were trying to trap Jesus and pressure him had let their minds go to keeping the Sabbath a certain way so that they were righteous or they felt holy rather than letting the Sabbath take their hearts toward places where they saw God is righteous and God is the one who was satisfied. They, they were doing things with the Sabbath to earn rather than to receive. So, so we just stopped there and said, hey, that's really important for us as a community. When we talk about Sabbath, we're not talking about a whole new set of rules where you're currently failing, that if you could do these things better, then you'll finally be okay. 
It's way more a posture of our hearts that our bodies actually have to be engaged. We actually have to stop to let our hearts engage in these things. But we're, we're stopping our hearts, stopping our bodies so that we can actually receive and experience what Jesus promises of having our, our burdens lifted. And then Jesus just says this whole thing is about him. So in verse 8 of Matthew 12, he says, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about the details of how you keep the Sabbath. It's about what the Sabbath is pointing to. And that's the whole point of the Colossians passage. And we started back up in verse 13 because I wanted you to see the connection Paul makes to what we celebrated last week with Easter. That Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose. That is the essence of the gospel. And he says from that place, therefore, don't let people judge you on how you keep these festivities, these days, these holidays, these Sabbaths, because those are all shadows and pointers to the one we're talking about who died in your place, who rose again. So what we celebrated last week actually gets pressed into your heart in moments like Sabbath, in moments of rest, in moments of, of quiet. So, so it's not a burden, it's an invitation, but, but we actually want to help us hear this invitation by, by slowing down. So here's what I want to do. Just want to talk real quickly. What is Sabbath? Why it matters? And then how would you practice it? Last time we talked through four different things about Sabbath. We said when we see it show up, it reminds us that God is the creator. So we see early in the book of Genesis, God's the first one to rest on the seventh day. And the command to rest comes in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where God says to his people, I want you to rest on the Sabbath because I created in six days and then I rested. So Sabbath has in mind stopping and remembering that God is the creator. And then we see a command in Deuteronomy 5. It's the second time we see the Ten Commandments given. And in that space, you get the same emphasis given to the Sabbath. It's the longest space there. And what you see is a call to remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So in the Exodus passage, it's remember that God created. In the Deuteronomy passage, remember that God set you free. This one who created is the one who set you free. So it's about your identity. Sabbath is about remembering your dependence and remembering what God has done for you and how that gives you an identity. We looked at another passage in Exodus 16 where, where God's training his people regularly with the Sabbath to receive his provision. It's about him as creator. It's about your identity as creature. And it's about learning to receive his provision, practicing receiving from him. And the way he has it designed that we do this one in every seven days must mean both it's something that we have to constantly learn, that our hearts keep drifting away from. Even these slaves that were set free from Egypt have a hard time believing God's powerful enough to care for them. So it's a a habit or a pattern or something that's repeated to help them receive from God his provision. So, So regularly stopping our hearts trains us to experience and notice God's provision. And then we look at a passage in Exodus 31 where God says, this is a sign to my covenant people. And he actually has some pretty strong warnings in there because I want to use the Sabbath to actually remind you that I'm the one who sanctifies you. I'm the one who actually makes you holy. I'm the one who actually does all the work. And the covenant that we have with God is not based on our merit or effort, but on the mercies of God. The New Testament is explicit about that. And you watch that pattern over and over and over again in the Old Testament. But everything about our world tells you it's always up to you. You've heard that your whole life. And so the Sabbath is a merciful, visceral, 
physical way for you to stop your heart and remember what you desperately need to rest in that you fight so hard to agree with. There's nothing about you that sounds amazing except that you are worthy of God's love in the Sabbath. But when you're crushing it, when you answer how you're doing with, man, I'm busy, I got so much, I'm on the run, I'm on the go, I'm chopping it up, that has something to say about your value and worth and contribution. There's something about the way our hearts are insatiably longing to prove ourselves and justify ourselves. And constantly, from the moment our great-great-great-grandparents were in the garden, we resist the idea of being dependent creatures. The ancient lie came in and said it wasn't enough for you to trust God for everything. You needed to add to what he's done for you and bend the rules a little bit and know more. If you just knew more, then you would be happier. You could be more like God, more sufficient, more autonomous, more amazing, more powerful, more fill in the blank of the thing that you long for. So Sabbath is actually fairly simple, but it, it pushes hard against the thing inside of you that longs to be independent, that wants to be autonomous, that wants to prove and justify yourself, which is, I think is why we get it so twisted and distorted, because we struggle to actually receive and believe. So, so like in a definition, we said Sabbath is about recalibrating our hearts around the idea that God is the creator and we're the creature. And we're always calibrating our hearts to something. The world is telling us a different kind of narrative about where you will find value and worth. But Sabbath is a stopping and a recalibrating, setting the dials back to where they're originally supposed to be, where you can see and experience God as creator, and you can experience the beauty of being a dependent creature, even though it's so counterintuitive, which is why we have to practice it. It's why we have to sit into it with our bodies and our hearts and our minds and our souls to help us actually be convinced and to believe. I don't know what's going through your mind now as I'm talking, but, but I would guess if you're like me, you can give like assent to this and agree with this and nod your head and then look at your calendar and your schedule and have a hard time finding evidence that you really do believe that's what you most need. Most of us live our lives believing functionally that it really is up to us, that we have to provide for ourselves, that we need to do more and try harder, that that's just kind of the American way. I think it's the human fallen way. I think it's the lie that you hear from the ancient enemy that, that tells you God is not sufficient, you have to take care of yourself. And it wraps all that together in your heart in a way that says, hey sister, hey brother, you've got to do more. It's simply up to you. And you've been rewarded when you've done well, you've felt punished when you didn't do well. So everything around us actually reinforces the lie that you should be autonomous. So, so we want to just check in with yourself and go, all right, he's now twice told me exactly the same thing. Nothing I've said is new. In that space, like, how is it sitting with you? And maybe you're going like, dude, I think you're way off. What we see in this text is that these people had taken the Sabbath and had made it something it was never intended to be. They were actually using it as a way of earning righteousness rather than receiving. They had distorted the meaning of the Sabbath. So, so let me just quickly, if what the Sabbath is about is these things we've already said, let me just go like, why, why does it matter? Real fast, and these will be summaries. Psalm 46.10 tells us uh, to stop, to, to rest, to be still and know that I am God, he says to his people. So Sabbath reminds us what God is like. And the fact that he is a God who sets slaves free and then gives them time off 
is mind-blowing in the ancient world. These are slaves that constructed things in Egypt that God now rescues them, brings them in the desert, and tells them he wants to just take a day fully off to worship and engage their hearts. He wants to actually see them actually come alive to their humanity to receive. That God is a God that gives rest to his people, says amazing things about who he is that you only learn when you're resting. When the grind is loud in your ear, you have a hard time believing that God is a kind of God full of grace and mercy. You just attach to him everything else you've attached in this life of merit and worth and value. So Sabbath slows our hearts down and helps us to remember what God is like. Right? Jesus is showing us what God is like. That's the whole point of the book of Matthew. And what he's doing is lifting our burdens and calling us into justice and mercy and receiving not through regulations and law. So Sabbath slows you down to remember what God is like. It also slows you down to see God at work. Just stopping and pausing and taking a deep breath so you can take it all in. Have you had that experience where like you're looking for your keys or, or your backpack or something and it actually winds up being right in front of you, but you have frenetically run the house back and forth and you're passing by it dozens of times looking for this thing you have to have and the longer you go and looking the more amped up and anxious you get and finally a roommate or a spouse or a kid will go hey are these are these your keys you're like yeah where did you find them down some dark dark tunnel where no one could ever find them oh they were on the counter the whole time there's something about the rush when we're blitzing around the house to get out the door that makes us blind to things that are right in front of us you've experienced that with your keys how much more with god how much more is the rush and the adrenaline and the hurry and the hustle and the hastiness of our day make it hard for you to actually see God around you? And in fact, that, that anxious adrenaline rush actually, I think, feeds your soul in anxious ways that makes it harder for you to sit in and see God do justice and love mercy, to invite you to walk humbly with him. Sabbath actually lets you stop and see what God is actually doing, right? It lets you see what's in front of you with creation, with his goodness. It slows your heart down against the pace of frenetically trying to, to find him in the cracks of the world. You stop and see him right there in front of you. Sabbath trains your body to resist the lie of autonomy and to practice dependence. Friends, I think we are addicted to self-sufficiency. I think it drives everything about you. The problem is it's the kind of addiction that doesn't satisfy, it suffocates you, it leaves you more depleted. You love the idea that you could be self-sufficient. Even if you're failing at it, that's why shame is such a loud voice for you because you think you should be the kind of person who's self-sufficient. You are addicted to it. And the Sabbath breaks that addiction like you would detox from alcohol or sugar or saturated fats or whatever it is that you're going to detox from you have to just stop for a moment let your body actually purge some of that then this says it's your soul purging some of that because the lie that you should be omnipresent omniscient omnipotent that lie that we heard at the garden is actually so intoxicating it has hooked us but it's an insidious lie that actually leaves us really, really depleted. So it helps us remember what God is like, shows us God at work around us, helps us resist this lie 
of autonomy. It actually works to break the Egyptian economy that these slaves had been living under. There's a book on work and worship that I'm reading with some other pastors. It's been really, really, really helpful. It's one of the reasons why I'm eager for us to bring back passing the offering plates. Is not because we need more money from you, but because there's something about our hearts that needs a regular practice of declaring war on the gods of this world. And if you think about where the command to Sabbath came from, these were slaves who had been imprisoned for 400 years in Egypt, driven unmercifully, inhumanely for as long as they could possibly remember. And the author of this book says, it's one thing to get the slaves out of Egypt. It's quite another to get the the slavery out of them. It's one thing just to get, get them out, set them free. All you have to do is like open up a Red Sea and defeat the entire Egyptian nation. That's easy. What takes some time is actually working the slavery out of these hearts of these people who have been so abused and ingrained with their, their autonomy, their, their work, their value tied to what they accomplished, and the insistence on that. So Sabbath actually helps us stop where you could make more, you could do more, you could accomplish more. Students, you could work that from a B minus to a C plus if you just spent more time on it. You could close more deals, you could return more emails, you get the house more clean, you could balance more books, you could do lots and lots and lots of things to get ahead. And Sabbath trains us to break the power of that ancient evil economy and to live into receiving and, and blessing. So, so in fact, actually, we're going to do kind of a two-part. This week is worship through rest, and next week will be worship through work. And we'll pass the offering plates next week as a, as a way to symbolically say, hey, we're declaring a war on the economy of the world that says our value is in our net worth. So, so it has that kind of function It actually also involves you and lets you see God on his mission. So this verse that says, be still and know that I'm God, it actually goes on to say, and I will be exalted among the nations. So stopping and actually seeing God at work wants you to join him on his mission. It has a way of pulling sheep out of ditches, of of healing lame people, of, of providing food for those who are hungry. When you see God at work in the world around us, you actually want to join him. It fosters and fuels mission, the more rested you are, the more you've practiced receiving, the more you engage your heart to welcome what God wants to do inside of you. It's when you've seen something amazing, how you want to invite somebody else to see and experience and slowing down your heart, even through nature and creation to see, I mean, look at what God has done. He's amazing. What kind of God invites people to rest rather than do more? As you experience that, you want to share that. So during uh, the early days of COVID, when everything was shut down and everyone's just like sitting on their back patios, um, quasi moaning, maybe celebrating, it was kind of a weird space. We, we had a little pot, a little spot in our backyard, and I had just carved a stump into like an end table. Talk about like board. I used a like a little electric chainsaw and carved a stump into an end table, sitting there in the backyard. And we're sitting there, just kind of hanging out, and this little cicada or locust or I don't know exactly what it is. I, what I got in biology, but some kind of a bug crawls across the patio, goes up the leg of this little end table that I had just carved with my chainsaw, which is kind of awesome. And he just stopped for a second. And then he begins to like move and it's, he's going to come out of his shell. And I'm like stoked. This is like the the thing happening. This is transformation metaphor right here in my eyes. I pull up my phone and set up one of those like 
time-lapse photography deals. We, we call the kids over to come and watch. What's watching a cicada coming out of the casing is not near as exciting as watching a time-lapse of that happening. It was like super, super, super slow. But I watched the cicada come out of his shell, huge wings. Did you know they're wet when they come out, which is pretty fascinating? They're like drops on, of dew on them, or probably not dew, or some sort of cicada moisture, I don't know. But they're, they're, their wings are wet, sits there for a minute, and then he flies and takes off. It was like breathtaking. Well, it was like that big of breathtaking. It was, it was as big of a breathtaking as an inch-long little, little creature can be. Okay, but I recorded, I can show it to you on my phone. I still have it. Uh, I gathered the kids, and then we went out and hung out with some friends in their backyard, and I told the amazing cicada story of all that had happened because I'd slowed down long enough simply to see it. Okay, silly little bug, think about when you watch God at work. And you actually experience him at work, and you find him to be satisfying. And in that space of a rested heart, you, you can actually say and testify to your friends and family and neighbors, hey, I know we are frazzled and strung out. Can I tell you about a God who does all the work for you, invites you to simply rest and receive? And man, I'm figuring this thing out, and I'm really broken and pretty consistent, but, but times that I stop for even just a couple of hours and take in his goodness and remember what he's doing, it's actually changing me. And you want to share about a God who is changing you. You want to share about a God who is soul satisfying. You want to share about a God who part of his mission was to bear your burden upon himself, right? Which actually, then now it makes sense if Sabbath is a a shadow of this ultimate rest that we have in Christ to see him as the one who fully satisfies. When you experience the rest of God, you want to share that rest with other people. So, So Sabbath too, why it matters is it does point us to Jesus, he, he is the centerpiece. He's the one this whole thing hinges on and the one that matters. The Sabbath is not about the rules and regulations. In fact, what this passage has gotten wrong, the, the religious leaders, they had added a ton of laws because the Old Testament's pretty generic when it says to not work. It doesn't really define work very much. So they had added like dozens and dozens and dozens of laws to define work, and that became the thing that they were so enamored by. Not the God of the Sabbath. They were enamored by keeping the Sabbath. I thought about this, and I thought about my very first car date when I was 16 years old. I took a girl to see Aladdin in the theater, so this is like early 90s, right? It was in the wintertime, but the weather had been pretty nice, so I planned a picnic. I planned the most amazing picnic you could ever imagine a full like family-sized cooler of accoutrements and sauces and cheeses and meats and sandwiches and drinks, this whole thing I'd planned. I'd spent actually days planning this date. We go see the movie. We show up at the park. The temperature had dropped quite a bit, so it's like in the like 30s. We weren't quite ready for that. And it was the worst day in the history of park picnic dates, I think in all of humanity. I don't know what happened. I'd spent so much time preparing and prepping. I had every detail down. I had the schedule down. I knew when to pick her up. I talked to her parents. I knew all about it. I'd planned everything down, and the date went terribly. Like, it went just terribly. And I thought this week, I don't know why it was on my mind, but I thought, I wonder if I had spent less time on the details of how to do the date and more time, like, I don't know, asking her questions talking about her, gazing longingly into her eyes. Whatever you do at a park date, like if I'd have done that more than these details, I think the date would have changed. When we talk about being a Sabbath people, I don't want us to spend a ton of time on the details of how 
I want you to feel an inordinate amount of freedom to focus on the who of the Sabbath. Let's not make this park picnic date mistake of so concerned about the details that we miss the very person who's right in front of us. Jesus is inviting us into something really beautiful. Your heart actually is going to resist it because you want to add some righteousness. But, but what Jesus is doing for us here is showing us what he's like and inviting us into something that's beautiful that the scriptures say is actually eternal. It's an eternal kind of rest that we experience with Jesus, which is so, so beautiful. So let me give you some how. That's what the Sabbath is and, and why it matters. Let me give you some how. I just stole this straight from the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. There's a great chapter in there on Sabbath, but he says there's four kind of key things. The first one is simply just to stop. (laughs) Sabbath is not a state of mind. It's actually something that you do with your body. You have to actually stop. We're not going to litigate what day or for how long. In fact, do whatever you can. Start wherever you are. Start as small as you're able to, but, but Sabbath requires and is involved with the idea of simply stopping, just stopping. Let your soul catch up to your body, just stopping. Second, he says it involves resting, not not just stopping and doing nothing, but, but actually resting. And there's a difference between escaping and numbing and actually rejuvenating resting. You know what it's like to binge Netflix for hours and hours and hours and be exhausted when it's over. We're not talking about just escaping, right? If one ditch is overworking, another one is escaping. What God invites us into is a deep kind of rest that finds him to be satisfying at the center. It's a rest that actually is enjoying him. It's a rest that actually invigorates and fills us back up. It's a rest that actually helps us see God for who he really is, right? So we want to be careful of joy substitutes, of putting things in this space that we would normally do anyway that actually numb us out. It's a restful posture moving towards God, which is the third thing, which is to actually stop and delight in God, to slow down long enough that we actually see him and delight in him, to notice and enjoy and see him around us, right? Stopping our bodies, asking him to help us to rest, and then taking time to cultivate delight in him, seeing his good gifts around us and whatever that would look like for you, right? Nature, art, to actually stop. Maybe it's working in the yard. Now, if you do landscaping for a living, probably yard work won't be a very good Sabbath activity. Or if you're a writer, actually engaging maybe in reading wouldn't be the best. Or whatever it is that you do for a living, you want to be careful not to actually just replicate that and call that a rest, but to stop and say, Whatever I can do to help me enjoy God, that's what I want to do in this moment. So, so really good food, time with people, to stop and delight. And then the author of this book says the fourth thing is to, to stop and contemplate. It's not just empty space. It's filled space that actually stirs our heart towards God. This passage in Deuteronomy 5 where we're given the Ten Commandments, he says to remember like remember that you are slaves, to remember the gospel story, right? The, the way Colossians 2 is pointing us to see this rest as finding its hope and help in Jesus, to say this thing that I'm resting into has an ultimate fulfillment. Let me remember the promises of God. Let me pray. Let me engage in God's word, right? The one of the ways I contemplate is by talking with God and hearing from him. And maybe as I say that, you're going like, gosh, I hate doing that. It's so hard for me. This summer, we'll do a class on prayer. We'll do a two nights on just personal prayer. 
And then we have these equipping classes Sunday morning that, that actually help you get into God's word. There's one on Romans, one on Ephesians, and we'll start another one on the Old Testament soon. Like if you're needing help to actually learn how to pray and be in God's word, I get it, man. Would love to be a gift to you and help you in some of those places. So, so what do you do? How do you practice it? Tons and tons of freedom. Again, the Bible doesn't actually define work very clearly. And the fact that it's all pointing to Christ is super helpful because it gives you lots of movement and latitude on what to do. But to stop, to rest, to delight, and to contemplate in what God has done to meet all your needs so you don't have to work. Think about doing things in community. Think about helping each other. Think about our single parents and people in your small group. Could you like call them and go, hey, let me get you three hours just to go sit and be quiet. Can I watch your kids? Can I come over and, and help? Can I, can I sit with your spouse for a little bit if you need help at home, caring for them? Can I, can I do something to give you some space? Think about community. And think about in terms of like macro moments of like four minutes and five minutes throughout your day. And, and then a regular time where you block off several hours. And then kind of a macro time where maybe you go to a monastery or you do something once a year, twice a year, maybe on your birthday, the gift you get is some time alone in that space. Now, not just like vegging out alone. Some of you guys are like, I get the birthday present every year. I mean something that's actually deep for your soul. But think about small spaces, regular spaces, and something that's pretty thoughtful. You won't accidentally fall in to Sabbath. But as you engage it, you'll find Jesus there. The pressure's not on the how, it's on the who, and he's already done everything we needed him to do to provide this rest for us. So let me, let me just stop here. Again, friends, we've got decades to kind of press into this, but I wanted to give you these ideas of stopping and resting and delighting and contemplating, and maybe just this afternoon or even now as we go to take communion, you ask the Spirit of God, like, what's a small little step you could take? What's one little thing you could do to move towards rest? And if you've got kids at home, think through what help you need, and the people around you think through how you can actually lend a hand and what would actually help your heart stop and receive what Christ has done. And the reason why we take communion every week is to remind ourselves and recalibrate our hearts around what Jesus has accomplished for us so we can be forgiven and free. So for Christians, I invite you to take communion. Come to the front. There'll be a, some bread that you'll dip into a cup that represents the broken body and shed blood of Christ. There's a gluten-free station over here. To my right, your left, and some small little packets if that's more comfortable for you. But Christians and followers of Jesus, come and remember what Christ has done to give you this rest. And then use the song that we'll sing just to kind of pray into that and ask him to help you know what steps to take. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just stay in your seat. There's some prayers in the back of the bulletin you were given that would give you some examples of what it would sound like to talk to Jesus. But communion is for those who are trusting in Jesus. So if you're not, just stay in your seat and ask him to speak to you. I'm so thankful that you're here. If you're ready to trust Christ, I can invite you to come and take communion this morning, and then we can talk about that after church. I'll be over here at the front. would love to hear some of your story. But let me pray for us. We'll take communion and remember what God has done to give us rest. Jesus, we say thank you for who you are, and thanks to what you've done. Help us now in this moment to receive. Would you start now this like pattern and habit and posture? Fill us and delight us with a receiving that we can do as we welcome what you've done for us. We're grateful that you were willing to go to the cross. And as we celebrated last week, you rose from the grave. You defeated death. You give us hope for the future. Meet us now where we need rest today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come take communion when you're ready, and then we'll sing some more.